0: my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. A few months ago, Laura and I got invited by Prison Fellowship International to travel with them to Medellin, Colombia, and they invited me to speak in what was at one time the most dangerous prison in America. In fact, while I was there, I met this man that you'll see on the screen. His name is Eddie R. Ruiz. He was actually a hitman for Pablo Escobar. He was one of those guys that rode around on the back of motorcycles, pulled up beside cars, and shot people. And he was arrested right after Pablo Escobar was killed. He was sentenced to 60 years in the very prison that I was going to be speaking at, but two weeks in that prison, he accepted Jesus as his personal savior. His life was changed. He ended up only spending 12 years in prison. When he got out, he became a pastor, went to seminary. He now pastors a church in Medellin, Colombia. And now he goes back into the prison during the week and he witnesses and shares his faith with these prisoners. And when they accept Christ, he has a one-year discipleship program that he puts them through based on the Gospel of Luke. And I was able to go and speak to them at the graduation ceremony after they had completed their year. I was able to give them their certificate of accomplishment, a brand new Bible. Uh, We were able to spend time with them, get to know them. And as Laura and I were chatting with them, the one concern that kept kept coming up was their wife and children who were outside the prison because once they went into prison, their families became really the outcasts of society. Uh, Many times their wives could not get jobs, the kids couldn't go to school because there was no money for fees or uniforms. Supplies. In fact, Laura and I spent a day and a half going around and visiting some of these wives, some of these children, seeing some of the incredible deplorable conditions that they lived in, and it just absolutely broke our heart. Thankfully, Prison Fellowship International has developed a sponsorship program for these young people. It's a one-on-one sponsorship. It endures funding for children all the way through high school graduation. Uh, it makes sure that they get away from that life of crime. They can break that. It makes sure they get an opportunity to meet Jesus Christ and let know him as their, his, as their Lord and Savior. They get basic shelter, they get food and medical care. Uh, they get all these things all the way up through. It's a commitment till they graduate from high school. The problem is it can take as much as six months to a year for one of these children to be adopted. And so Laura and I came back from that and we realized, man, every Christmas we, we have a party, we have throw a Christmas party to raise money for a charity or a ministry that is close to our hearts. And we decided this year that we were gonna raise money for Prison uh, Fellowship International, and we we're gonna raise this many thousands of dollars as we can to underwrite some of these children for the next year. And so next Sunday night, December 2nd, at Ray's Restaurant right across from the Raleigh campus on Buck Jones Road, Uh, we're going to be having our annual Christmas party. It's from 6 to 9. And I said our goal is to raise a lot of money. Uh, We would love for you to come and party with us. We're going to have a great, great time. Uh, It's $100 a person. Uh, Because of Ray's generosity, he pretty much donates all the food. So pretty much every cent you give, almost every cent, there's a few charges we have in there, it goes directly to Prison Fellowship International. Even Laura and I buy our own tickets. We're not even looking for you to carry us on this one. We're committed to this. It's gonna be a great time. Uh, There's gonna be a DJ, there's gonna be a dance floor. Uh, This includes your meal, it includes your drinks. Uh, There's a rumor there might be some cigars there so you can offer up some burnt offerings. I don't know, outside. I get to be a celebrity bartender. That's the dream job I've always wanted, so I get to pretend for a little while. But it's just a good time. We dress up, we get together, we get to know one another. We have some great items that we're gonna auction. We actually have a six bedroom in Cortona. Italy right in the middle of Tuscany It's six master suites. It's a 900 year old villa that's been restored. It is incredible. I've had the opportunity to stay there. You may want to get a few families and come together and say, we're bidding on that thing. It, I promise you this, it comes with a chef, transportation. It is the vacation of a lifetime. Uh, there's a complete a- air conditioned HVAC unit that someone is going to install in a church. and Maybe you know somebody that knows one, you can get them there or you can bid on it and give them to them. How's that? But we're going to have a great time. Uh, you can, you you can get your tickets. in fact, we have, we have an address online. It's uh, Christmas Dinner Dance, Just go to eventbrite.com, put Dinner Dance. You'll find it, Christmas Dinner Dance. And you can buy your tickets there. And uh, we would love to have you show up and be a part of it. We do this every year, and it's one of mine and Laura's favorite things we do all year. And we've raised uh, some incredible amounts of money from incredible ministries. And uh, so I hope you'll be a part of it. Now, this is the second, third week of our series on the 23rd Psalm that we're actually calling... Psalm 23, which again reminds us that here at Hope, we will spare no expense to be creative and irrelevant. So we're into Psalm 23. And uh, by the way, a few years ago, when I was pastoring in Southern California, I actually taught through the entire book of Psalms. And uh, uh, when I was going through it, God gave me an insight that I'm gonna pass on to you. So here's the deal. Next time you wanna read the Psalm, go home, okay? Get on all fours like a sheep, okay? Open your Bible to Psalm 23, put it right, in, right between your front paws, okay? And look down and read it because here's the thing. If you miss Psalm 23 from the perspective of a sheep, okay, you're gonna miss the impact of Psalm 23. Now I suggest you do this when no one is home or you're not gonna be surprised when somebody walks in the door because they're gonna invite people in with white coats and they're gonna take you away to camp. You know what I'm talking about? So you don't wanna do that. Do it while you're by yourself. But I'm telling you, it will give you a totally different perspective on what Psalm 23 is all about. Now, last weekend, we looked at Psalm 23, verse one, very familiar verse, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack for nothing and I know, I lack for nothing and I know exactly what you're thinking when you hear that because you were thinking the exact same thing last weekend. You're like, Mike, it sounds good. It's just not true. Because Mike, I am a sheep, I'm not a goat, but yet however, even though I'm a sheep and even though God is my shepherd, there are still a lot of things in life that I'm lacking. For example, I'm, I'm lacking financial security. I thought I would have it by now, but I'm still lacking it. I'm lacking a good marriage. I signed on. I thought it was going to be incredible. I still don't have a good marriage. I'm I'm lacking my education. I mean, I've been doing classes online and going to classes for years. I still don't have that degree. There's so many areas of my life where I'm like, I'm still lacking peace, which brings up a question like, can God really take care of me? Can God really supply my needs in such a way that I don't lack anything? Or here's another question, can God really give me direction in a directionless world? And if he can't give me direction, how does it happen? And what is the step-by-step process? And why, why don't I feel like it's going on in my life right now? Well, this weekend, we're gonna look at several phrases from Psalm 23 that will help us find the answer to some of these questions. How does God lead us in a way that we lack nothing? In fact, what are the benefits of following the good shepherd? Let's look at Psalm 23, beginning in verse one. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And so the first benefit of following the good shepherd is he leads us to rest. Now again, I don't know how much you know about sheep, but I promise you this, sheep will not relax. They will not lay down, they will not rest until they know everything is just right. And I think that's probably true of a lot of us here this weekend. We will not go to sleep, we will not relax till everything's just right. See, some of you you need a, a, a foam pillow, right? Some of you need a feather pillow. Some of you need a soft mattress, some of you need a hard mattress. Now this is what it takes for me to be able to go to sleep. Okay. First of all, the TV has to be on. Because if the TV's not on, my mind never stops working. So Laura puts on HGTV. I'm telling you, it is a dream and vision killer right there. So she puts on HGTV, that's the first thing. The room has to be cold. I got up Friday morning in our bedroom, it was 53 degrees. That is a great night for, sleep. in fact, I love it because Laura will get up to go to the restroom in the middle of the night, this is what it sounds like. Covers fly off back in bed. I mean, she cannot get back in that bed fast enough. So I got to have it cold. And then I take two Benadryl and one melatonin and I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to get at least four hours of sleep, right? Listen, sheep are no different. So the shepherd, he's got to make sure certain things are taken care of so the sheep can kind of just relax and just rest. For example, he has to make sure that there's nothing around to scare the sheep because sheep pick up on things and they will not rest until their fears are taken care of. See, they're thinking about cougars. They're thinking about coyotes. They're thinking about wolves. But when they know that the shepherd is on the scene, that he's doing his job, they will actually lay down to relax and they will get some rest. Now, here's the reality. So many of us, if we're honest, we deal with all kinds of fear in our life. The fear of the unknown. Fear of the unexpected. What's the next disaster gonna be? The fear of the future. Some of you, your whole life has been shaped by your fear of failure. And there are times where even paralyzed by these fears. Have you ever noticed if you, if you you wake up in the middle of the night and one of these thoughts get in your mind, how it's just incredible. It's like a big monster at night. And then you get up, the sun comes up like, where did that come from? Right. But we get paralyzed by our fear. So what's paralyzing your life this weekend? Maybe it's a report that you just got from your doctor, or maybe, maybe it's gridlock you just experienced over the holidays in a family situation. Maybe you're afraid that you're gonna lose your spouse no matter how hard you try. I talked to a young man this week and he said, Mike, I don't know what else to do. She's gone. I've tried everything. She's gone. And you could see the fear on his face. Maybe it's the job. Maybe it's your financial security that you have spent your entire life trying to get in place that you're gonna lose it, right? I'm telling you, just like the sheep, at some point we have to realize that Jesus is the good shepherd. He really is on the scene in our lives. And the minute that we grasp this idea that he is present, not only is he present, he's never going to desert us. Our fears begin to subside. And finally we can begin to relax so that we can get the rest that God intends us to have. But not only did the shepherd take care of fear, he also had to take care of the friction in the flock. You may not know this about sheep, but they're naturally competitive. Sheep are naturally jealous. They wanna be close to the shepherd, so they're pushing and they're shoving. They wanna be the top sheep. And when that happens, guess what? They become irritable and they can't get along with each other. Sound familiar? I mean, if we're honest, as human beings, we spend a good portion of our lives competing with each other. We don't wanna to submit to each other. Even Paul says in Ephesians 5, hey, submit mutually to one. We're not, no, you submit to me. Cause I want to be the top dog. Say, I want to be number one. We all want to be there. So, so we butt heads and we quarrel and we compete. So he's got to deal with the friction. We have to deal with that friction that we naturally have in our relationships because relationships are, are they're, they're confusing at times and they're complicated at times. And then you throw into that, someone abuses us. Someone takes advantage of us, right? And then we just hold on to that hurt. I, this is what I know about some of you. You absolutely dreaded Thanksgiving Day. Because you knew you were gonna have to sit down at the table with someone that you're at odds with. In fact, you have been at odds with this person for years. And when it comes to Thanksgiving, you just wanted it to be over with, right? And you can't rest maybe because of something that they did to you. It just consumes you and you cannot let it go. There's this friction. Every time you get in the room, you can feel the tension. You can feel the friction because you haven't dealt with it. You can't let it go. Now, let me just say this. If you're in here this weekend and you're not a Christian, well, see, you have the benefit. Of you can be as angry as you want. You can hang on it forever, right? You don't ever have to let it go. Now, I don't think it's healthy. It's obviously not healthy, but you can hang on to it. But here's the thing. If you are a Christian, you have been called to a higher standard. In fact, you are being held to a higher standard. This is what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave Now let me ask you a question. When God forgave you, when God forgave me, how did he forgive us? Well, he forgave us totally and he forgave us unconditionally. It wasn't come back to me when you get to act together. Come back to me when you get that habit out of your life. No, it's like, I forgive you totally. I forgive you unconditionally. I forgive you of everything that you've ever done. And I'm gonna go ahead and forgive you (coughs) of everything that you ever are going to do. That is how we were forgiven. And then Paul turns around and tells us that we're to forgive each other the same way that God in Christ has forgiven us. By the way, do you know what that assumes when Paul says you gotta forgive each other? It assumes that we're gonna hurt one another. It assumes that we're going to offend each other. It assumes that we're going to disappoint each other, that we're not, we're not going to meet each other's expectations. So let's stop being shocked. What do you say we stop being shocked when someone offends us? I mean, what do we say? I cannot believe. Yes, we can, because you're capable of doing the same thing, maybe even worse. So let's just assume it's going to happen, that we're going to get hurt, that we're going to get disappointed, that we're going to get offended. But even then, as Christians, we are to forgive regardless of what someone has done to us. Now, this is what I want you to do. Turn to the person beside you. Look them right in the eyes. If you don't know them, introduce yourself or this will be awkward. All right, do it. I'm looking at you two right here. Okay, look at each other's eyes. This is what you say. I am gonna forgive you. Say it. Regardless of what you do to me. That's what the Bible's saying. We are to live in a constant state For some of you, that was awkward if your spouse is sitting beside you, right? right? We're to live in a constant state of forgiveness. We are commanded to get rid of the friction. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, you got to cancel the debt. You got to get to the point, they don't owe me. Now, why is this so important? It's so important because if you don't forgive and you hang on to it, this is what's going to happen. It's going to eventually turn into anger. And it obsesses you. And every time you get to someone together, with, you tell them the story of how this person hurt you, right? You go have coffee, you tell them. You have lunch, you tell them. You sit at a park, you tell them what they did to you, right? Eventually, someone's gonna say, wow, man, we've been talking about this for 14 years. I think maybe you got a problem. You, you, you may need to deal with it. So you know what you do? You don't deal with it. What do you do? You suppress it. You're like, well, I'm just not gonna talk about it anymore, right? They don't care about me. I'm not gonna talk about it. Well, let me tell you what you, when, when you take anger and you suppress it, you know what it becomes? You know what it turns into? Depression, depression. And some of you, as you're listening this weekend, it may be a reason that you're battling depression is because there's anger in your life that you've never dealt with. See, this is important. This is what I tell people. If you never believe there's a God, if you don't believe the Bible is the word of God, your life would be better just by following biblical principles. You would have better finances if you followed the biblical principles that the Bible gives you about your finance. But you would have much better relationships, whether you believe in God or not, if you just followed these kinds of principles. And you've got to forgive, and this is a fact, this is what Paul said in Ephesians 4:26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, I don't know if he means that literally or not, like before the sun goes down, 533, I gotta forgive. Because see, if you live in Alaska, you can go much, without having to forgive anybody. See, some of you really angry people should move to Alaska, right? There's the answer, right? I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is this. You gotta deal with it in a timely manner. Sooner than later, you gotta deal with it. I cannot tell you the times in my life, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, that people have hurt me, and I've held on to that anger. And I know what it's like. And you can't get the rest. You can't find that peace that God desired us to have. Let me tell you. The good shepherd, one of of his goals is to make sure that there's that that freedom of fear in your life. There's There's that freedom of friction. He's gonna help you process and deal with these things. So he leads me to rest. Here's the second benefit of following the good shepherd. He leads me to refreshment. Look what it says in Psalm 23, verse two. He leads me beside quiet water. So not only does he lead me to rest, he also refreshes me. Now, in my study of sheep, I discovered that Often, if a sheep is really, really thirsty, a sheep will just wander off and they'll find any old polluted pond and they'll just drink from it. They have no idea that they're actually ingesting parasites and diseases that can not only impact them, they can spread and impact the entire flock. And yet, in the same way, I meet people every week who are just thirsty. They're trying to get their thirst quenched and they don't know how to quench the thirst. There's a void in their life they just cannot fill up. There's an itch they just can't figure out how to scratch. And this is what they don't realize. They don't realize that that void, that emptiness in their life is because God desires to be in a relationship with them. Now, understand that God created us in his image. He created us to be in a relationship with him. I've said it before. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them in relationship for relationship. They didn't have to do anything to get into the relationship. They were in the relationship, but sin messed it up. And now when we don't have God in our lives, there's a God-sized void that only God can fill up. But instead of acknowledging that and allowing God to fill that void, people will fight it. They will resist it. Instead of allowing God to to quench that thirst, they'll just resist it. And they will drink from any polluted puddle they can find because they just want some satisfaction. And they don't even realize that, that they're ingesting parasites and diseases and sin that literally will destroy them from the inside out. This is what Jesus said in John chapter seven, verse 37. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, and he quotes from Isaiah 58, verse 11. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living waters will flow from within them. So basically Jesus says this, are you thirsty? I'll quench your thirst. Is there an emptiness in your life that you're trying your best to fill up that you can't fill up? I will fill up that emptiness. I am the answer to that. And I know what some of you are thinking because I've been doing this a long time. Like, Mike, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know all the baggage that I'm carrying around with me. Well, let's go back to that verse. Let anyone, let anyone. Now again, the New Testament was translated from Greek into English. In the Greek, that word anyone means anyone. Okay, so I just want to clarify that. Anyone. So no one's excluded. Anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. In my sheep research, I also discovered that sheep are petrified of running water. Now here's the problem. If you ever travel with me to Israel, you'll notice a lot of the water flows down from the hills into the valleys. And most of it is rushing water because it's coming where it's rain collects it, or sometimes even the snow up on the hills. But if you lead a sheep to rushing, moving water, it won't drink it. It'll just stand there. Their mouths could be swollen. They could be panting. They could literally be dying of thirst. They will not drink from that water. And it's because they are afraid of the water. Now, here's the question. Why are they so afraid of rushing water? It's because, see, they know. It's built into them. It's the way God created them. They know that if they're thick wool coats, if they just get, you know, if they, 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 they can get waterlogged, they realize that if they get waterlogged, they can be swept away, they can literally drown. And it's amazing how animals have that natural instinct. See, Sheep have that. In fact, when we had our Siberian Huskies, the only cool dogs that have ever lived in California, uh, Nikolai and Natasha, they were the best dogs ever. But the one, I tell you what, try to give them a bath. They went crazy, just crazy. It was like a whole different personality, right? I mean, they you know bare their teeth and nip at you and bark at you and try to bite you. And, we finally gave up and we took them to a groomer who happened to be Russian. And then we said, why do they hate water so much? He says, it's instilled in them. It's in their DNA. Siberian husky. If they get wet, they freeze to death. They die. They hate water. They're naturally afraid of water. It was the same way with sheep. So you take a sheep to water that's Russian, they're like, whoa, whoa, I could get waterlogged and go down, right? They would just stand there and they would look at the water. They wouldn't drink the water. And so when a shepherd needed his sheep to drink, but he was in a place of rushing water, he would just sit, venture out into the stream. He would move around some stones, move around some rocks. He would make a, a, an area of this quiet, still water. He would make a little pool off to the side, around from all this rushing water. And when that pool was there, the, the, the sheep, they would go up and they would drink from the still water, right? And I thought, man, how many times does a good shepherd lead us into rushing waters in our lives? scenarios we don't wanna be in. Maybe it's in the marketplace, maybe it's in a relationship, and we're like, God, why did you lead me here? And we don't like it there because there's anxiety and there's fear there, right? Why did you lead me, God, into this job? You ever thought about that? Why did you lead me, why did you lead me into this marriage, God? You had to see what this was gonna be. Why did you lead me in? And so we stand around and we question God, but I'm telling you, if we can just get to the place where we can learn to trust and follow, I promise you the good shepherd will venture out into the stream of our life. And he'll move around some rocks and he'll move around some boulders and he will provide some still water, a little pool in the midst of the turbulent waters of our lives. I'm gonna be honest with you, my thirst has been quenched to a better degree in the midst of the rushing waters in my life than when things are going smoothly. There's just something about those pools. There's something about those quiet waters in the midst of the turmoil that's going on. There's something about how it gives you perspective. It just kind of fills you and energizes you. It gives you confidence in the good shepherd who is leading you. We have that kind of good shepherd. Just recently, I, I realized this again. I, I, I decided I'm not, I, it doesn't do you any good to go to the doctor because they just tell you bad things. But anyway, I, you know, I went to the doctor and um, uh, I told you I went uh, last year and I, I had a lump in my pec. I have it in my pec. I'm going to make sure you, it's not my chest, it's my pec. But anyway, the nurse, she, the doctor, she, she said, oh yeah, that's a lump. And I said, what do you think? She says, we got to have a mammogram. I'm like, ma'am, I got no mammogram. I don't, I don't know how that's going to work, right? And I was kind of confused about that. And that ended up being nothing, so that was cool. But then I went back again and, you know, doctors, well, I'm kind of concerned about some things, run some tests. Well, the water was still, but now it's a little... And then I go back again he says, I think we need to do a biopsy. You know? I get in the truck and I call and She said, what did he say? He said, we need to do a biopsy. She said, well, how do you feel about that? I said, what world are you living in? Whoever wants to hear, they gotta have a biopsy, right? I mean, the waters are turbulent, right? Like, What's well, still, it's calm now, you know? So we get the biopsy, he goes, hey, we took 12 different samples. Here's the good news, no cancer. still water. However, Well, we found some abnormal cells and we just, I think we need to do an MRI. Now the water, you know, but see, my life's no different. There's always something going on. There's always some turbulent waters, but I gotta tell you something. It's amazing how God reminds me in the middle of this that he's in charge. Not only that, but how he'll just put little pools of water. I'll give you an example. Most of us wouldn't think this was exciting, but my youngest son and his wife and their kids, they just moved in with us for four months while they were finishing up on a house that was being built. And my first thought was, oh, great. But, but then we got a new grandbaby, you know, Judah Michael, named after me, right? I call him J. Mike, but everybody else calls him Judah. But uh, I tell you what, just getting up every morning and getting to spend some time with this kid, you know, four months old. He, hearted, he didn't recognize us by the time he left this week, reaching for us, kissing us, loving on us. I mean, waiting for us. I mean, see, that's that little pool that God just reminds you that God is in charge. But here's the thing, see, and it just... If you don't follow him, if you don't trust the good shepherd, see, you're you're never going to discover those quiet waters. Because there's always going to be chaos and turmoil. But he's going to lead you to still water. The good shepherd leads me to rest. He leads me to refreshment. Here's a third benefit of following the good shepherd. He restores me. I mean, think about this. If you're following me, it says in verse 23, verse 3, he restores my soul. See, so when we're following the shepherd... He makes us lie down in green pastures. In other words, he leads us to rest. And then he leaves me beside quiet waters so that I can be refreshed. And as a result of the rest and the refreshment, my soul is restored. Now to be restored could mean a few things. First of all, it means that Jesus will revive my life. You ever felt like you just need to be revived? I mean, think about this. Who wrote the Psalm? David, David wrote the Psalm. Now this is what the Bible says about David. It says, David was a man after God's own heart. It doesn't say that about anybody else in the Bible. It only says it about David. David was a man after God's own heart and it doesn't say it once, it says it twice. But yet, if you know the story of David, you know that he was well acquainted with deceit. He battled with depression. It was well documented that he struggled with temptation. David, David our hero, committed adultery with Bathsheba then had her husband killed to cover the whole thing up. I mean, he, he broke two of the big 10 right there, right? And you want to talk about, there were times where I think spiritually David was on spiritual life support. I envision angels running around heaven saying, code blue, code blue, it's David again, it's David again. Get the paddles out, right? I mean, he is almost down. So David needed to be restored. He needed his life to be revived. In fact, that's why he asked in Psalm 42, verse 11, why my soul? Are you downcast? It's interesting that David used that term because we think downcast means like thrown down. Literally, it's a shepherd's turn. Let me explain what it means. Sometimes a sheep would lie down, relax, you know, get all comfortable and it would just turn over on its back and all of a sudden it would become cast. In other words, it would be on its back and it would not be able to get up, okay? It's like Thanksgiving afternoon right after you ate. okay? The TV's on, you know, you're just like, don't, I can't move, right? That's what's going on with the sheep. But here's the difference. If a sheep stayed in that position long enough, it would kill the sheep. So a shepherd's constantly looking out for a downcast sheep. Now, here's my question. You ever been downcast? You ever been cast? On your back, kind of flailing around in a difficult situation. You, you, no matter what you do, you can't seem to right yourself. And I think there's several ways as Christians that we become downcast. Sometimes it happens because we just get too complacent. Sometimes it happens because as Christians, we just just, just get too comfortable. And the same thing happens to the sheep. A sheep finds a little depression, finds a little hollow. The grass is so cool. It's so inviting. He gets comfortable. And after a while, it turns over and it gets cast. I think as Christians, you know, we get too comfortable sometimes on our Christian journey. Especially if we've been on the journey for a while. See, like me, I've been a Christian for what, 55, 57 years. It's really, really easy to get thinking, man, I can just throw it into cruise. I don't need endurance anymore. I don't need vision anymore. I don't need commitment anymore. I'm just going to cruise. I'm going to coast. We get complacent. We just, before you know it, we're cast. We're on our back. We're useless in the kingdom of God. We lose our edge. We get soft. And it's one thing to lose your edge. It's one thing to get lazy in the marketplace. It's one thing to, to get lazy in your marriage. I mean, it's going to have reap some horrible dividends. But I'm telling you, when you, when you get lazy in your Christian journey, You become cast. you know what one of the biggest challenges is for Christians, especially Christians in America? You know what it is? Our life is so good, we expect heaven now. See, we want a carefree life now. We want a stress-free life right now. We want a wrinkle-free life right now. And we spend a good deal of our time trying to make that life happen. Let me tell you something. The Bible never, ever teaches that. In fact, read the Bible. You ought to read it. It's pretty good stuff. It teaches the exact opposite. This is what Jesus said. In this life, you can expect tribulation, suffering, storms, trials, and persecution. Any questions? See, heaven is a reward that comes Later. See, this is what I've learned. I've learned that the Christian life is the greatest adventure in the universe. But nowhere in the Bible does it say it's easy. I thought when I turned 60, cruise control. Finally figured out marriage. Kids finally behaving, out of the house, church a well-oiled machine. Right. Life just doesn't work that way. In fact, to succeed on the journey that God wants to take us on, it will require everything we have. Every day, it will require us every day when our feet hit the floor reels, God, I am bringing my A game today because it's gonna be tough. Yet at the same time, you know what? It's the life that you were wired for. It's the life that God designed for you to live. But I promise you, nowhere in the Bible is the Christian journey ever described as easy. So keep your A game, keep your A game. There's another way that a sheep could get cast. As their wool grew, I mean, their wool, it would begin to collect everything like, you know, like Velcro. Everything would just stick to them, briars and burrs and mud and manure. And and when they would pick up all this extra weight, they would get weighted down and they could easily get cast. In the same way as Christians, we become cast when the things of this world that we're rubbing up against all the time, when they begin to stick to us like Velcro. All of a sudden our title, see now our title is more important than our walk with Christ. Prestige, that's more important than my walk with Christ. My salary, that's more important. My future, recreational pursuits, cars, houses, activities that our kids get involved in. They begin to cling to us like Velcro. They begin to weigh us down. And if we're not careful, we can become cast. All of a sudden, even in our Christian journey, we're upside down. We're, We're unable to right ourselves. We can't seem to get back on our feet. By the way, do you know what would happen when a sheep's coat would become matted with all of that stuff and it would weigh them down? The shepherd, he would take out the shears and he would go to work. And I've learned on my journey that sometimes the good shepherd has to do that to us. We can get a little too proud. We can get a little too independent. We can get a little too confident. We can get distracted and sidetracked. And there are times that the good shepherd has to take out the shears and he has to shear us. And we don't like it. In fact, when he shears us, we get mad. We ask him, why are you doing this to us? Why are you putting me through this? I can promise you, based on experiences in my life, he has our best interest in mind. He's doing it to improve us, he's doing it to refine us, he's doing it to make us just more and more dependent and more and more reliant on him. But there's one more reason, and I'll close with this, why a sheep would become cast. If a sheep gained too much weight, it could easily become cast. Is that too soon, right after Thanksgiving, right? Anybody dare gotten on the scale yet? Not me, right? See, but if they gain too much weight, this is what I've learned about Christians. Churches have a lot of fat sheep. Not physically, not physically, but people who just give me some more information. Give me some more, give me some more. Now I just want to go deeper. Does that describe you? So man, you are on a, you're ingesting just spiritual calorie after spiritual calorie. You're gorging yourself on books and podcasts and CDs and sermons but you're not getting any spiritual exercise. So you're not putting your gifts, you're not putting your talents to work. And as a result, you're spiritually fat. You're spiritually obese. And you know what? You're useless. I've said this before. The Bible was not written for our information. The Bible was written for our transformation, right? So it's not about just eating and eating and gorging and gorging and learning and learning. We've got to take what we know and we have to do something with it. Let me tell you something. Most of us, I'm just being honest with you, most of us, if we would just apply 10% of what we know, 10% of what we already know, our lives would be radically different. We would be way ahead of the game. One more thing about restored, it means to return. As I said, sheep have a tendency to wander and in the days of Jesus, in the days of David, if you were a Palestinian shepherd and you had a sheep that just kind of kept wandering away, becoming stray, <clears throat> he would go pick that sheep up. And he would hold it close to his chest. And then he would reach, usually to the back, and take one of his legs and snap it. Snap it. And understand the shepherd didn't do it to punish the sheep, he did it because he loved the sheep. He wanted what was best for the sheep. And then once the sheep, he'd broken the sheep's leg, he would would put it in a splint. And have you ever gone to Sunday school and seen the picture of the shepherd with the sheep up over his shoulders? You know, it's kind of sitting there. He would literally carry it on his shoulders like that. And in the process, that sheep would become totally reliant on the shepherd. And guess what? After the leg mended and after it was healed, that shepherd would put that sheep back on the ground and he would never leave the shepherd's side. He became that reliant on the shepherd. Let me ask you a question. Has God ever broken you? Let me ask you another one. You keep wandering off? Say, I see some of you. I see, I'm back, man. I've been away, but I'm back. In three weeks, you're gone again. And six months later, you're back. No, I've, I've rearranged my priorities. I'm back, you know. And, Then you're gone again. I'm telling you, if you keep up that lifestyle after a while, He's going to discipline you. Now, understand, He's going to do it out of love. But there's a clear biblical principle God disciplines those He loves. Doesn't say punishes, He disciplines. It's just the way you treat your children. If you got a child that keeps running out in the street, are you a great parent if you just, oh, you're so cute running out in the street like that, but don't do it anymore, don't do it anymore? No. Because life, the life of that child is in danger. What do you do? You punish that child. You discipline that child. Like, you can't do that. I love you, and I have your best interest in mind. I'm telling you, the Father will do the very same thing to us. So when you wander, he's not punishing you. He's disciplining you, driving you right, right by his side. Right by his side. So what do you do with this stuff? I mean, at the end of the day, you know what it always is? is your move, it's your choice. Your life is the culmination of the choices you make in your life. See, the shepherd can lead you to quiet water, but he can't make you drink. See, we had a saying in California, you can lead a horse to water, but what? Well, we say you can't make him surf, but we'll go with you can't make him drink, right? He can lead you to quiet water, but he can't make you drink it, right? He can provide everything for you, but he can't make you lay down and rest. But if you do those things, you know what'll happen? you restore your soul. You need your your soul restored. I need that every once in a while. And typically it just means some alone time with me and God and sometimes taking it on the chin because he usually has some things to say to me. There's a reason I'm in the condition I'm in, but here's the cool thing. He's like, okay, now that we got that out, let's get restored. But at the end of the day, your life is the culmination of your choices. You make the right choices, good things happen. You make the wrong choices, bad things happen. So God simply says this, live right inside the circle. Live inside the circle, my precepts, my principles, my perfect plan and will for your life. And you've positioned yourself to be blessable. You move outside the circle, you own your own. But see, that's your choice, that's your choice. Nobody can make you do that, that's your choice. So if your life is miserable and you're wondering, why isn't God, why don't I have this sense that I'm not lacking in anything? My guess is you're dabbling outside the circle. And I would recommend you get in before he has to break your leg and bring you back. It's much easier because he's going to win that battle every time. Okay. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you you for just being a good chef who just loves us. You just just want to be in this relationship with, and we can't even grasp that. Some of us, we can't get past it. You're just a guy with a clipboard and a big club, and you just, man, you just want to wait for us to step out. That is not the good shepherd. The good shepherd wants to lead us to peace and to rest, to calmness of spirit. He refreshes us so that our lives can be restored. Help us to learn the deep truths of this psalm, but more than that, help us to begin to live them out to apply them into our lives right now, to see where we are in this psalm and make the corrections that need to be made. And we're gonna give you the credit, God, for what you're gonna do in our lives. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus.